Joshua and the pastors here. It's a privilege to be with you as we consider John chapter 3, verses 22 through 26. And uh, this passage is kind of answering the following question. Why should people follow Jesus? Why should people begin to follow Jesus? And the, two, and the answer that these two witnesses give is this. Because Christ is above all, He should get it all. Right? There's two witnesses, John the Baptist and the Apostle John, the writer, in our section this morning. And they are both testifying in court, hand over their heart, hand raised in the air, that Christ should get it all because He is above all. So these two different Johns have this one aim to convince you this morning that you should give your urgent attention to Jesus Christ. That Christ should raise in your estimation. That Christ should rise in your affections. To what in the words that we've heard all morning long. He must increase. We must decrease. In one sense, we've been saying this all the way through the book of John. And so, if you're our guest, it's okay that we're in John chapter 3. You don't have to be familiar with where we've come before. This morning's message is a great place to pick it up and to kind of get the storyline. In fact, the storyline this morning is the storyline of the entire Bible. There is one center of attention from beginning to end. The Bible is about Jesus Christ the Holy One of God Himself. He and He alone occupies center stage. The spotlight should be on Him, and it must be on Him alone. To put it in the words of our sermon's main idea, just so you can hear it again, Christ should get it all because He is above all. But sin, here's the next part of the storyline in the Bible, but sin comes in. And we try to steal what rightly belongs to God. We try to move the spotlight from God, right, onto ourselves, and we try to displace Him. Sin makes us glory thieves. We're starved for glory, and we are thieves of glory. We steal what belongs to God. To put it another way, sin is what causes us to rewrite the story. We try to steal the story and we try to rewrite the story and we want to make ourselves the center of the story. So the question this morning is, how are you trying to promote yourself to center stage? How are you trying to promote yourself to center stage? The Bible calls that selfish ambition. But selfish ambition doesn't travel alone. He always has a partner in crime, and his name is Jealousy. And these two inevitably pick up two more gangsters, disorder and vile practice. Listen to how James diagnoses it again. Here's our disease that we all have. James 3.16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice practice. Where jealousy and selfish ambition hang out, disorder and vile practices are cracking their knuckles and they are ready to rumble. Human beings fight. 
And the reason when we fight is when our ambitions go sour. You know, your ambitions can go sour just like milk. They might look good on the outside, but you give them a little sniff, and it's like, yeah, that's sour. They go ransom. And when it turns, our ambitions turn selfish or jealous, it causes human beings to knock it along, to fight, to even kill. Think about it. Have you noticed in your own life that that spirit of rivalry makes it impossible for you to think about the issue? Instead, what you think about in an argument is, what is this doing to my pride? What is this doing to my reputation? What is this doing to my standing? Here it is. How is this going to make me look? Right? It is the spirit of rivalry that causes you to take everything personally. So with every vile practice, you fight for your honor, your reputation, your turf, creating every kind of disorder. The heck with let's be reasonable. The heck with let's do it this for mom and dad. The heck for let's do this for the kids. The facts aren't important, but my face sure is. Right? It's a sickness that we all have, and we see this sickness particularly on the account of John the Baptist and his disciples. They don't want Christ to get all the glory because they've written themselves really big as the center of the story. The scene begins here in John chapter 3 with Jesus' disciples, and they are baptizing. And lo and behold, John the Baptist, his very name, is all about baptizing. And he also is baptized. And look at verses 22 through 24. If you're new to reading the Bible, the large numbers of the chapters, the small numbers of the verses, chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, God's Word says, After this, Jesus and His disciples went into the Judean countryside, and He remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there. The people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. So John's in one location baptizing. Jesus is in another location being baptized. And what we have here are two individuals offering a baptism. But you can see that seductive elixir of selfish ambition when you see how John's disciples approach their teacher. Look at 25 through 26. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and all are going after him. The young bucks have gone to their teacher, Rabbi, and notice the rhythm of their voice. He who was with you, right? He who was your boy, the one who came up under your ministry. He who was with you, the one that you lifted up, the one that you put in the pulpit, your boy. The one you gave the platform. Well, he is doing what you do, and now all are going after him. Selfish ambition of these disciples are creating a spirit of rivalry, disorder, 
and every vile practice. They don't even mention Jesus' name. Did you notice that? The guy over there, right? They came to John, Rabbi, he who was with you. You're the baptizer. That's your name. That's your claim to fame. And he's taken away our base. Right? People are going to Jesus now for baptism. He's hurting you. Your ministry is shrinking. And that's the thing that we are all most afraid of, isn't it? That we are insignificant. The thing that hurts us all, the thing the human soul is most afraid of, is that we are unimportant, marginal, peripheral, ephemeral. That is what we are most afraid of. And when we feel like we are marginal, we want to put ourselves in the center. When we feel like we are small, we act big. And when we feel like we are passing away, like footprints in the sand... Man, we want to last. We want to be remembered. We want to be significant. And so we manufacture our own glory. We have to convince ourselves that we matter, that we are a somebody, not a nobody. And so inside of us, hardwired, there is a drive, an ambition, a quest for glory, a starvation for glory we just want to be approved. We want to be recognized. So faith family, what is it for you? Is it what you have achieved? Look what I've done. Or is it who you associate with? Look who I'm with. You can feel significant either in what you achieve or by being a part of that inner circle and in who you associate with. And the disciples of John conquered their feeling of inadequacy by attaching their sense of significance to John the Baptist. Faith family, how do you conquer your feeling of inadequacy? When it's in what you do or it's in who you associate with, your world can get threatened and feel unstable and you can feel insecure just like these disciples, because the word they heard on the street was that Jesus' ministry was growing and all these people were going to him and John the Baptist, his ministry was shrinking. That Jesus is surpassing John does not sit well with them because they don't realize who Jesus is and they think that they are center stage. It's a sickness that we all have. It's the corruption of ambition but what would health look like? What would it look like if we didn't have this sickness? John the Baptist this morning is our picture of health. And to kind of put it into context, you have to remember who John the Baptist is. He is the most significant public figure that wasn't elected in the first century. By the age of 30, John the Baptist held the whole world in his hands. He has reached massive heights. Friends, to put it in perspective, just think about this. John the Baptist actually had people asking him, are you the Christ? I mean, can you imagine that, right? That you are so gifted, that your fame has gone so viral, that people are tempted to think that you're the Christ. Let me just put it in perspective. 
as a pastor, the greatest compliment I've ever been given was, that sermon was decent, okay? But no one has ever mistaken me for, are you the Christ? No one has ever, like, like, hmm, I'm confused, okay? But that's how significant John the Baptist is. And with that in mind, right, how would you feel knowing that you've just received the news that your star is fading, that your light has been eclipsed? Well, you could respond with envy. You could feel insecure. <laughs> What's going on, man? What, what have I done wrong? Have I lost my edge? A spirit of rivalry could have easily crept in. But notice how John the Baptist actually did respond. And the level of his national and public significance makes his statement so shocking. Look at verse 27. John answered them, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John the Baptist flies above petty partisanship right here with a true statement about ambition. Hey guys, relax. We wouldn't have anything unless God has given it to us. No one can get anything in and out of this world unless it is God who gave it to him. Be grateful for what you have. Rest in the knowledge that everything you have has come from the Father. Friends, John is a picture of health, not because he just kind of summoned the inner strength to be humble. You know, got to swallow my pride in all bit. No, John is a picture of health because he actually trusted the sovereignty of God. He trusted the sovereignty of God. John is basically saying here, friends, it's God who says when my ministry begins and ends. As you learned on the sabbatical from Job, it is God who gives and takes away. Job 1.21. So don't worry about your rise and fall. Be grateful for what you have. Because you don't get anything without heaven dispensing it. Rest in the knowledge that everything you have has been given to you from God. James chapter 1. Right? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. So let me ask you, faith family, how do you see the world? Do you see the world through the goggles of fairness or through the glasses of grace? When you succeed, do you attribute it to your hard work, your intellect, your prowess? Or do you think, not one thing do I have that I have not received from the God in heaven? And when others besides you succeed, do you attribute it to the golden spoon in their mouth? The good luck, their parents, their privilege? Or do you say, not one thing do they have that has not been given to them by the Father in heaven? That's how John thinks. This true statement about ambition, I want to say, spring loads John's arm for a rabbi slap. 
I mean, he is just ready to connect the dots right across their cheek, okay, for a zinger. Here's what he's going to say. Hey, disciples, you're concerned that people aren't listening to me anymore, but here's my problem. You've not been listening to me. Listen to how John puts it in his own words. Look at verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness. And I said, that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. John looks at his guys, says, guys, I've been telling you all along, I am not the Christ. I have been telling you that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. You've testified to these words with me, but you haven't internalized them. You've been watching me point to Jesus, but evidently you are majoring and missing the point because instead of seeing where my finger has been pointing to, you've been staring at the tip of my finger. If you really want to protect my reputation, could you please listen to my instruction? I am not the Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. Follow him. The rabbi drives his point home with a beautiful analogy. See if you can connect the dots between a best man and a groom with John the Baptist and Jesus. Look at John 3.29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John picks up the image of a wedding And John realizes that his job is to be the best man of the groom. And he's excited for the part that he gets to play. He understands his role. He's the best man. Jesus is the bridegroom. That's an illustration, analogy that all of us understand, right? We understand the groom gets to cut the cake. The best man gets to eat the cake. It is the groom who gets the first dance. The best man just gives the toast. And it is the groom that leaves with the bride. It's a perfect analogy. Because if there is one simple rule to being a good best man, it's this. Don't marry the bride. (laughs) You can do a lot of things wrong on a wedding day. But the one thing you must not do is upstage the groom. So when the bride comes down and she stands beside her groom, you are not supposed to wink. You cannot send the signal. I mean, we're laughing, but can you, can you imagine? I mean, I'm talking UFC. I mean, that, that is, she is not your bride. The groom gets the bride. Don't you realize who he is? Your job is just to stand there and fade into the background and don't upstage the groom. So pastor, elder, deacon, Sunday school teacher, youth leader, praise team member, greeter, card sender, FCBC member, here's Christ's question to you. What are you doing, my bride? What are you doing with my bride? Why are you trying to get her to focus on you? 
John's life was designed to point people away from himself to Jesus. And John's content to get out of the way and be forgotten. In fact, the word content is to milk toast a word. John is completely overjoyed. Look at verse 29 again. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He has no sense of rivalry, only to rejoice. In fact, the more fame Jesus gets, the more John's joy is complete. What a picture of health. Hey, family, have you experienced that joy? Or are you that person at the party who's moping around with your head down, over there hanging out the gift table going, none of these have my name on it. Don't even know why I came. Don't you realize whose party it is? It's not about you. You will never know the joy that God is inviting you into until you discard your starvation for your own glory and begin to live for His glory. True joy is not in making much of yourself. True joy is found in making much of Christ. That's the diagnosis, our picture of health. Are you ready for the cure? How do you move from jealousy to joy? What's the antidote to selfish ambition? Well, John gives us the principle, and then he gives us the theological foundation behind it. Verse 30 is what we must do. Verses 31 through 36 is why we must do it. Verse 30 is Christ should get it all. Verse 31 through 36, it's because Christ is above all. Why? Let's just see it in a nutshell. John 30 and 31a, I think, kind of pictures it well. What we must do. He must increase, but I must decrease. Why we must do it. He who comes from above is above all. Christ should get it all because he's above all. Therefore, the antidote to all of our selfish ambition is the magnificence of Christ. That Christ would rise in your estimation this morning, what you think of Him. That Christ should rise in your affection this morning, how you feel about Him. That Christ should be center stage in your life because of where He comes from. He comes from heaven. John has been saying that everything we get comes down from heaven. And if that is true, then the one who comes down from heaven ought to get it all. Because He is above all. My faith family, don't you realize who he is? John moves from the identity of Jesus to the authority of Jesus, and here's his logic. If you come down from heaven, you have the authority to speak from heaven. The end of John 3.31. Here it is. 3.31 through 34. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he, God, gives the Spirit without measure. The divine authority of Jesus is based upon the divine origin of Jesus. He's from heaven. 
so he can speak with authority about heaven because he's from there. Those of you that are from Loudoun can speak with authority about what Loudoun's like because you're from there. You personally know. And Christ testifies to what he has seen and what he has heard because he's come from God. He can speak about God. He utters God's truth with God's authority. That should make him raise and rise in your estimation. It should make you listen to his words with a deeper affection because of his testimony. Don't you realize who he is? Trust his words. For you cannot give a greater insult to God than not believing the testimony of Jesus. What an insult that here he is speaking on behalf of heaven and yet no one receives his testimony. And John finishes his theological foundation not only because of Christ's divine origin and his authority, but also because of what the Father has put in his custody. Look at verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Did you notice that the analogy has moved from a best man and the groom to now the relationship between a father and a son? How much more intimate a relationship. What has the father given the son? Answer, everything. This is a theological reason for why you must decrease and he must increase. The reason why you will not find overflowing joy in the one who is greater than all is because that job has already been filled. They are not hiring They're not taking occupations. There is only one person that God has given everything into the hand of, and that is His Son. All things are in His hands. And so the more that we forget those things, the more we become big. You show me a Christian who has this ambition to make himself known and to advance himself, I will show you a Christian who has an inadequate view of Jesus. Don't you realize who he is? It's not about you. It's his story, and it's for his glory. Christ should get it all because he is above all. My non-Christian friend, you've been at this long in the sermon, you wonder, what is it there for you? How do you receive the news and all the songs that we've sung this morning that Christ should give it all, get it all, and that you should give it all? How do you greet that news? Do you rejoice that you get to give him all? Or do you reject it? You know, it really just rests on your estimation of Jesus. Is he worthy of it all? Is he worthy of you giving it all to him? My non-Christian friend, don't you realize who he is? Don't you realize the authority of his word? The significance of his mission? Do you know as a non-Christian what's at stake? Look at John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Those who reject the Son, God's wrath remains. So here's what you should do with your ambition if you're here as a non-Christian. You should put Jesus on the throne. 
That's how you become a Christian. This is the defining characteristic of all of us in here who have gone from being glory thieves to worshiping Christ. We want to live for His glory. We think Christ should get it all because He's above all. Now, here's the catch. If you're here as a non-Christian and you don't give Him all the glory, you will spend your life trying to manufacture your own glory. And you're going to get irritated and frustrated when people don't treat you as if you are glorious. How do they not know who I am and all that I've done and who I associate with? When you get snubbed, when you get overlooked at work, when you get mistreated unfairly, wow, we feel small, and so we act big. And the bigger we act, the smaller we feel. So the smaller we feel, the bigger we act. And on and on it goes until there's nothing left because you're wrapped up in yourself. But if you come empty, if you come this morning weightless, saying, I don't have a glory, Christ will fill you if you come empty with His glory. Because Christ embraced your worst nightmare, my non-Christian friend. Christ voluntarily emptied Himself of His glory was overlooked, snubbed, suffered injustice, mistreated, despised, rejected. Isaiah 53 puts it this way. This is the Old Testament predicting Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Don't you realize who he is? The king of glory emptied himself of his glory so that you can be filled with the significance of being his. And now you have a glory that no one can take away from you. A glory that will make you big because it is the king of the universe who thought enough of you to empty himself so that you could be brought in and filled with his glory. My non-Christian friend, you should give Christ his all because he is above all. But if you're here as a Christian and you're a part of our faith family, Christ must increase and you must decrease. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that Christ should get it all because he's above all? Or do you think that he's above most? He is, is he above your kids? Is he above their soccer, baseball, 4-H, and dance schedules? Is he above your finances? Is Jesus above your desires? He is above all, and he should get it all. You can never make too much of Christ. Never have too high an opinion about Him. Never love Him too much. You can never trust Him too implicitly. You can never lay too much weight on Him. He is worthy of all honor. May the world see that our joy is complete in making much of Jesus and little of us. How are we going to do that as a faith family? 
I want to encourage you to think about it individually. But how are we going to do it as a faith family? We want to have more humble Christians with more humble churches. That's what it is. That's why we spent 15 minutes praying for churches that we don't go to. Humble Christians, humble churches, which is how Christ will be made much of. One of the very best ways you can make this happen is by investing in discipleship and church planning. Humble Christians that say, I haven't arrived. I need your help. Would you help me follow Jesus? Would you help me decrease? Where do you see in my life that I'm trying to steal the glory from him and put it on me? Would you evaluate me and tell me how I can walk better this week? We want to see more churches. Not because we want to fill up this place and make it about our name and run the flagpole of FCBC up there. Oh, look at the kind of Christianity we offer. It's the best in town. We plant churches at Harvest in Gilmington. We want to plant another one. Because why? It means it's not about us and what we have going on here. It's about His name and His glory, and He's the bridegroom. He gets the bride, not us. Faith family, would you help us not steal glory away from God by being a humble Christian and investing in humble church planning? Would you pray for Alyssa George and for Allison today? They are going to Rhode Island to learn about women's ministry in inner cities, thinking about church planning in tough places. Day trip down to Rhode Island and back. Let's bring them before the Lord in prayer as we want to uh, make him increase so that we would decrease. O oh, great God of highest heaven, occupy our lowly heart. You are near to those who are of a broken and contrite spirit. Lord, we pray for your fame and not ours to spread. And we pray that we could get out of the way in our turf, in our name, in our reputation, that we would hide ourselves in Christ, and that you'd be made much of. You'd be our security, you'd be our glory, and it would be our ambition to see you increase and for us to decrease. Christ, we pray that we could give you our all when we estimate you as above all. Help us to have right thoughts about you so that we can have right thoughts about ourselves and get busy preparing the bride for the true bridegroom. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing our closing hymn?